Welcome to the Front 5 Football Podcast with your hosts, Andrew Mallows and Colton Cobb. We're going to be bringing you a recap of the Week 3 action. How's it going, Colton? It's going good, Audrey. Glad to be back. Recapping another week of NFL football here. Week 3, heading into Week 4, man. How are you? We have an expression over here, which I think is perfectly appropriate for myself and any Bills fans that just experienced that last week, and it's totes emotion. That's the best way to sum up my feelings right now. (laughs) I understand. That's a tough one. As I mentioned, it's uh, one of those games that sometimes good to get out of your system early in the year, especially with all the injuries that Buffalo is dealing with. And that will lead us nicely on to our next segment, where we go through the breakdown of injuries from week three. It's time now to take a look back at the injuries on the offensive line for week three. And we are going to start with the NFC. And with that, I will hand over to you, Colton, sir. Thank you, Audrey. Yeah, heading uh, heading into week four here. A few injuries in the NFC offensive line. A um, few notables that I'll, I'll point out. Arizona Cardinals, Justin Pugh, uh, starting guard. Uh, he's got an elbow injury, considered day-to-day. Coach Cliff Kingsbury is uh, pretty optimistic with that. But they'll certainly, uh, the Cardinals will certainly need him if they're going to right the ship and get things going in the direction that they're hoping. Uh, heading on to another team here, Detroit Lions. Offensive line's playing fantastic. Uh, center, starting center, Frank Ragnow has a foot injury. He's questionable. He just got listed today. Injury he's, he's been dealing with a little bit, but, uh, hasn't limited him yet, but looks like he's questionable heading into week four here. And then New Orleans Saints, starting guard. Andres Pete is questionable. He suffered a concussion in Sunday's game against the Panthers, and it, it, he didn't return to the game, obviously, from the concussion, but he is still questionable. That kind of ri- rounds out the, the notables here in the NFC. Audrey, let's hear the AFC. Thank you, sir. Absolutely. So a few to go through on the AFC, just a few notables. So going to start off with the Chargers left tackle, Rashawn Slater. Um, he's got a bicep injury and is undergoing further testing at the moment. So just awaiting a, a further update on him. Uh, for the Bills, we've got a couple of notable injuries as well. Uh, Mitch Morse, uh, the cent- starting center, out with an elbow injury, just waiting for more news as to whether he'll be back for week four because he didn't play at all against the Dolphins. Um, Ryan Bates, also right guard for the Bills in the concussion protocol at the moment Um, and something I have a talking point that we'll come back to on that one later actually in terms of concussions and we have right tackle Lyle Collins injured for the Bengals and questionable for week four and also Raiders starting centre Andre James questionable for week four it's time now to take a look back at the week three action and provide our best teams worst teams and special mentions in terms of O-line from the week three performances and Colton going to come over to you to start with the NFC please all right, let's kick it off with the NFC here. We'll start with the worst of the week. And the worst of the week here in week three uh, goes to the offensive line that gave up nine sacks for 58 yards, and that's the Washington Commanders. Wow. the uh, Yeah, their quarterback uh, sacked nine times. They were facing the Eagles, and a pretty good defensive front there. I think Brandon Graham had two and a half sacks. And a handful of players had, had a sack and a, a sack and a half. Fletcher Cox uh, had a sack. But, uh, yeah, that, that front line, you know, if you look at the Washington Commanders, it's a, it's a line that's got quite a bit of experience. Um, a few players that are nine year vets, three of them. And, and, uh, you've got Charles Leno Jr., number 72 at left tackle, been in the league nine years. 
Andrew Norwell, number 68, left guard, been in the league nine years, uh, drafted out of Carolina and, and played college in, at Ohio State. Uh, Trey Turner, number 53, the center, been in the league nine years, came out of LSU, dra- another guy drafted by Carolina. And uh, you got Wes Schweitzer, seven-year player, right guard, number 71, and uh, six-round pick, drafted by the Falcons. Uh, that's another thing to note here about the, the Washington front line as well is they've only got one guy drafted by the commanders and that's Sam Cosme, second year player out of Texas uh, starting at right tackle uh, number 76 there. So a pretty experienced team, obviously some players that, you know, have been brought in, but awful performance. Said so the nine sacks there, they had two penalties offensive line uh, team just had one turnover, but they were 0 and 2 on fourth and, uh, fourth down conversions. So just a pretty awful performance there by the commanders. I won't uh, spend too much more time here, but, uh, yeah, Charles Leno Jr. had a pair of those false starts, those two penalties that they had. So a performance that that offensive line would love to forget about. Uh, jumping up to my, my special shout out, honorable mention of the week. It's going to go to the Green Bay Packers offensive line, that front five was was uh, returned to some pretty healthy status with Bakhtiari and, and Elton Jenkins returning and wasn't dominant in the run against the Tampa Bay Bucks, but a, a pretty uh, pretty tough game. And you could argue it was won and lost here in the trenches. If you look at the, the Packers, that line just gave up one sack for seven yards. No penalties on the offensive line, very clean game. And when you compare that to the, the Buccaneers, three sacks, on that quarterback, and then uh, they had three penalties on the offensive line. So you could argue that offensive line was a big difference in that close game. Then jumping to my best of the week, a team that lost, you've got the Detroit Lions. Great performance. And when you're looking at the Lions, they, they played pretty well this year, but that offensive line gave up no sacks, no penalties, very balanced attack, 137 yards rushing, 277 yards passing. They went for, they went for it on fourth down six times, converted on four of those. They were four of six on fourth down conversions. Awesome performance by the, that, uh, that pretty strong stout offensive line and just kind of breaking down. We, we've noted, you know, they got three first round picks with Panay Sewell, the second year player out of Oregon, uh, number 58. Frank Ragnow, as I mentioned earlier, the injury, fifth year player, first round draft pick out of Arkansas. And then you've got Taylor Decker, their seven-year player, drafted in the first round out of uh, OSU, uh, starting at left tackle. And then uh, Dan Skipper coming in, uh, undrafted player, the number 70 is a third-year player, came in at uh, at left guard and played pretty well. And then Evan Brown, same thing, undrafted guy, filling in, not a normal starter, four-year player, and kind of bounced around and uh, has found a home here on the Lions. So you got to give – some credit to that Lions offensive line despite their loss to the Vikings. And granted, Vikings front, uh, defensive front isn't the most, you know, noteworthy defensive front in the league, but very good performance by the Detroit Lions. And that is the roundout for my, my best and worst of the week, Audrey. 
Thank you, Colton. And once again, showing me up there, giving everyone the player numbers. So I'm going to apologize in advance because I'm just going to be giving out some player information, but I'll get better and make sure I give you their player numbers as well so you know who to look out for. But also, don't be afraid to go and look up these players on the great resources out there like ESPN.com or NFL.com, and you can then see what numbers to look out for every Sunday. So I'm going to start my AFC roundup with my worst team of the week, and it goes to the Las Vegas Raiders. Now, one thing that sort of stood out for me here in terms of stat-wise, and I know it's not always going to be on the O-line, but bearing in mind they had four penalties and their third down conversion rate was as low as 8.33%. I have to put a lot of that on the O-line because obviously they're the ones protecting the quarterback and if you're giving up penalties and only converting one out of 12 third downs um, admittedly only one sack for seven yards um, and they still had a decent offensive performance but for me that's a, a big red flag there when you're only converting on eight uh, percent of third downs their line um, led by a left tackle drafted in the first round Colton Miller um, and then every other lineman on their starting lineup is drafted in the fourth round or later so again similar theme with the Bengals last week wondering if that could be a big reason for their problems this week on the O-line honorable mention gonna try and speed through these a little bit just looking at the time special mention for my Buffalo Bills just with the amount of injuries and devastation across the O-line that they were dealing with but at least we have uh, number 73 Dion Dawkins to uh, anchor that line and, and keep everyone steady with all of the new faces coming in so at least there was one small amount of consistent communication there across the line and then finally my team of the week is going to be the Jacksonville Jaguars what a job Doug Pedersen is doing there with that team so looking at their stat lines for this week and no sacks given up no offensive penalties converting 53% of third downs two out of three on fourth down controlling um, the time of possession with over 38 minutes 25 first downs um, and just an incredibly productive offense across the um across the board so again i think we've mentioned a couple of these players before but players to look out for that are consistently performing this year cam robinson at left tackle um, a second round draft pick out of alabama uh, right tackle Jawan taylor a fourth year player out of florida and um, again drafted in the second round we've got a former first round pick in brandon sharif um, drafted out of iowa and um, by washington but now playing for jacksonville luke fortner their center in his uh, rookie season as well drafted out of kentucky in the third round and ben barch uh, playing left guard drafted in the fourth round by Jacksonville and then when you look at their starting O-line I think this is a theme again both of us have mentioned this season so far is that uh, Jacksonville have actually drafted four out of their five starting linemen so again just shows you what a great job their front office is doing and having that consistent communication across the O-line which we talk about a lot having players that are drafted by them especially if they were drafted this year they're going to have had a lot of time together and um, to work on that communication. We roll on now to the final segment of the show where we're going to look ahead to some week four matchups. Plus, we both got a couple of talking points to, to go through, some things for you to think about that have a big impact on the offensive line. But let's start with our week four matchups that we're both looking forward to. Over to you, sir. Thank you, Audrey. Yeah, looking at the week four here, really curious to see the matchup division rivals there in the West the LA Rams and the San Francisco 49ers should be a good one and going to be interesting to see how the front lines perform in that game. The other game I'm looking forward to seeing is the Lions and Seahawks. Cause I'm curious to see if the Lions led by that front line that's playing very well and very clean football 
can dominate the Seahawks as expected. Many expect the Lions, one of the largest favored games the Lions have had in, in a few seasons. So looking forward to that one as well. But a lot of good games, a lot of cross-conference games this week. And those are the two that I'll, I'll, I'll note out. Audrey, what are your thoughts on your AFC teams? Firstly, I do just have to jump onto one of your games there. And for anyone that has seen hard knocks like myself, I would run run through a brick wall for Dan Campbell, their head coach. So I'm sure if I feel like that, I'm sure that's what their players feel like. And I really do want them to have a great season because I wish nothing but the best for a coach like that who's really trying to install something good in those players. But on to my week four matchups I'm looking forward to. I think one of them is going to be no surprise. It's becoming uh, pretty obvious, I think, to all of our listeners, even after a couple of weeks, who my favorite team is. Um, and the bonus that this week they're also playing another great AFC team so I'm looking forward to Bills versus Ravens uh, both O-lines there have got a, a big task ahead of them to protect the superstar quarterbacks on each of those franchises so it'll be interesting to see how they both play in that game and I did write down another couple but I'm going to go with one that I'm just going to give you my notes on it and then we'll see maybe if you can <laughs> guess which game I'm talking about so I've put down possible train wreck for both O-lines and it's the Jets versus the Steelers. So let's see what happens there. <laughs> okay, now we'll move on. I'll finish off, I should say, with a couple of talking points that we've both come up with. So I'm going to throw it over to yourself, Colton, just to go through what you would like to speak about this week. Yeah, looking forward to uh, chatting a little bit about uh, your topic as well. But uh did a little research and, and referencing front five, I'm sorry, front five football, pro football focus and their rankings of the top offensive lines postseason. So they do this review at the end of the year, about a uh, month after the Super Bowl, roughly, and kind of rank all of their offensive lines. And I broke down the NFCs and did this by season. And it was, it was pretty surprising some of the findings. And here's an example. The last four years, the Panthers, their offensive line has been ranked in, in this ranking. They haven't even cracked the top 10 since 2017 where they were number six in the NFC. So just this is NFC, 16 teams in the NFC for the listener that's kind of confused what I'm, what I'm trying to explain here. So you can get one through 16 and for the NFC offensive lines of Panthers haven't even had a team in the top, uh, underneath cracked underneath 10. They've had a lot of tens at 16. So that was kind of surprising probably understand why you know toward the end of cam newton's career he was getting hit so much there in 18 and 19 post their super bowl appearance same thing when you're talking a quarterback and getting hit a lot the seahawks quarterback we all know seahawks quarterback and he got traded but uh they haven't had a team below eight so that the upper half of the nfc in the last five years i'd have to go back to see but they've got a 15 15 13 pretty awful ranking there and it it's a great little snippet to look at if you're an NFL fan. Eagles have had pretty solid number one, number one, number one, 11, four. So what are your thoughts on that, Audrey? I think it's quite clear, actually. You can see which teams have been consistent over the years. Like you mentioned, you've got the Eagles who are, and with the exception of one year, they're consistently inside the, the top five, let alone the top 10. Looking at the Atlanta Falcons and seeing how they got to the Super Bowl and then just decided they didn't want to play on the offensive line anymore <laughs> um, being sort of 13th 13th 14th for the last three years 
um, explains why they've not had success really. Um, when you talk about moving the ball, you can't have an O-line rank that badly and, and expect to make the playoffs. So yeah, very interesting to see which teams have uh, underperformed and then you can see the most successful teams recently uh, when you're looking at Bucks and Rams they're the teams that have got sort of a consistently sort of top five top 10 O-line again just goes to show that the game truly is won and lost in the trenches absolutely and then we're just going to finish off this week with uh, one last talking point which we'll we'll go through for you I'm sure a lot of people have seen uh, pre-season and also training during the season that a lot of the offensive linemen and linebackers have been wearing what they're calling guardians um, on their helmets in training, which can only be likened to um, a rugby cap for anyone over here in the UK. Um, so you get a feel for, for what we're talking about here. It's just a, a protective bit of headgear that goes over the top of the actual helmet itself just to try and reduce the amount of impact um, on the head and reduce concussions and head injuries. Um, and it got me to thinking that if we're using them in training, shouldn't we be using them in the game as well? Because the initial evidence shows that actually they're reducing the amount of head injuries we've had in training camp. So love to get your thoughts on that, Colton, if you think it's something that we could possibly see in the future in the NFL. Yeah, I think so. You know, there's got to be a balance there of how it looks. And, and you know, certainly the NFL is a very, you know, we don't see the players' faces. The, the helmet's got to look cool. They got to, you, you see players who are very particular about their face mask and obviously the decals on the helmets. That's a big part of a, what, what the NFL is all about in terms of a fan standpoint. I mean, you got helmets all over people's trophy cases and their, their office desks. You know, if they had these soft shell padded things on top of the helmets, would they be sitting on those desks? Uh, and cause they, they do look a little different, but you know, according to what I see here, the NFL had, had posted out, if you've got a, a guardian helmet, make an impact with a traditional helmet, no guardian helmet, there's a 10% reduction in the collision. And if both are wearing the guardian helmet, it's a 20% impact reduction. So if that data is accurate, that's certainly only going to provide a safer environment and, and protective piece for those NFL players. But definitely something they'd have to experiment with. But it makes sense. So you, you, you've got the hard shell helmet. You've got soft padding on the inside. Traditionally, that's how it's been for years. Now you're going to take the soft padding on the outside. And if you can make that soft padding, that, that soft shell look really neat and, and kind of be, be a, a piece that still looks cool, looks good with the uniforms. I think that's a no brainer in terms of safety. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I think with, with where we are with technology now, there's, there's got to be a way to be able to customize those so that, um, it looks just like essentially an extended decal on, on top of the helmet. So it'd be great to get our listeners thoughts on that as well. So, you know, just contact us on social media. Let us know what you think. See if you think they're a good thing, bad thing. If ultimately it does just have to boil down to player safety or if looks does have to play a part as well. And that actually rounds it up for us for this week. It's been great to catch up with you, Colton, and talk about week three. And, um, I look forward to catching up and recapping week four with you sir likewise my friend another good week of football down looking forward to another good weekend of nfl football